0: Hey, Shred Nation, it's Tom Adams, and on today's episode, I want to introduce you to two, I think, of the smartest web marketing people in the shredding industry, that being Janelle Gilbert of Web Vitality and Daryl Whiteowitz of NetGain. These amazing people have been in the industry a long time, and I think in today's episode, you're going to learn from them. They spend a lot of time and energy. They both have deep roots in the industry. And as a result of that, I want you to learn something from the way they look at web marketing in this industry and the way they think about it so that you'll have some insight to bring into your situation. And as a result of that, I hope you get better as a result. So without further ado, uh, let's jump into this cool mashup we're calling it where I've interviewed both of them independently, but my producer Finn is mashing it up to be a consolidated episode it might be a little longer than the average episode but i hope you learned something from this and i hope you gain something that's going to be helpful in your business here we go
1: thanks for tuning in you're listening to the shred coach podcast with tom adams Discover the secrets of successful web marketing in your shredding business with Janelle Gilbert of Web Vitality and Daryl Wedowitz of NetGain. Learn why shred-focused digital marketing is crucial for generating leads and growing your business. We cover everything from understanding the buyer's journey to creating a holistic digital marketing strategy. So don't miss out on this enlightening conversation.
0: Daryl Wojtowicz, welcome to the Shred Coach Podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm
2: delighted to join you. Thanks.
0: Yeah, it's really good to have you here. So uh, tell me about your role, the company you work for. Give us a sense of who you are.
2: Oh, sure. Just as a snapshot, I'm the sales manager for NetGain SEO. So we're a digital marketing agency and we specialize in the, the shredding industry.
0: Sweet. So tell me how long you've been, give me a sense of how long you've been working with NetGain. Give me a a brief snapshot of your history doing that.
2: Sure. Yeah. So NetGain actually has a milestone anniversary this year of 15 years. And in the digital marketing industry, things move so quickly that 15 years may as well be an eternity. So I've been with them for about half of that time. Got it.
0: Okay. So I have a a confession to make that I knew you before you joined NetGain. So you've been in the industry a long time. So take me back to before NetGain because you're not just a guy who showed up in a digital marketing agency. You actually have roots in this industry.
2: Right, and that's kind of what makes us unique. So it was a a match made in heaven from my perspective. I was in the records and information management industry for 10 years prior to ever joining NetGame. I've been in the trenches and I've lived it. We started a commercial record center in a small sort of secondary geographic location, but we started from scratch which is not something I recommend unless you want to bleed cash for five years. Right, right. It wasn't my business. I was just tasked with finding customers. So very much in the sales role. So we started a record storage company and ran that for five years and then decided to branch into uh, shredding. Yes. Yeah, so shredding for another five years and very quickly shredding outpaced any revenues that we were getting on the, the storage side.
0: Yeah, and this is in a market north of Toronto, Canada. Yeah. So, a, it's in Canada,
2: and B, it's it's it was in a small little town. So we had like a lot of the the shredding companies I've been chatting with over the last couple of days working in just small towns with a lot of windshield time. Could be you know fifty miles, seventy five mile, hundred mile radius. Right. Um, so we never went into any big metropolitan areas. But at the time, we used NetGain to build our website, and uh, we add ended up adding basically a truck every a mobile truck every fifteen months.
0: I yeah. I, re- I remember back having a conversation with you. I can't remember it was at a conference or by phone or something back in the day, but it was in the Canadian market because, you know, 10 years previous to that, I had built a, a record storage and shredding company in the market in a different town than you. But it was kind of an interesting thing because we were in this market that we were trying to grow. And in some ways, you know, Shredit came out of Canada. So it was a Canadian right. institution. And yet it was really hard to fight that. Machine, And yet, once people knew that there was an alternative to shredded in the marketplace, we had some interesting things happen. I don't know if you remember how that was there, but there was some interesting ability to sort of countermarket yeah. so them because this, they were the dominant presence in Canada. They were we found in those early days, at least
2: on the storage side and just just record security in general, a lot of our approach from the sales side was just educating yeah. the market, whereas I think even though the the industry sort of originated, at least the mobile shredding industry originated in in Canada. In the states, they picked up much more quickly the the, the need for that that security. Yes, and it could just be the litigious nature of right, right. But it was a bit of an uphill battle for us, just because we had to educate the market on why you would want to
0: shred your documents. Right, and it's changed yeah. now because we're we're now in a market that fundamentally understands the need. Even though we know that there's still lots of opportunity out there, but there's still some degree of education happening in the marketplace, but it, it's a much more developed marketplace. Sure. Yeah. Clients get it. They they understand yeah. the, the requirements for it.
1: So we
2: continued to run the record storage center while we were doing the shredding and, and growing that side of the business on the mobile. It was strictly mobile shredding. And then we added scanning and we just had some monster scan jobs, which is, I, I think a lot of your listeners could probably yeah. relate to that. very much project-based, whereas on the shredding side, we tried to build as much route density right. as possible. But yeah, the
0: shredding or the, the scanning rather and the imaging was just another sort of spin off yeah. for us. Yeah. So fast forward, you uh spend all this time that is so it sounds like about ten years right. actually in the game. That's correct, yeah. And then you made a move at some point to NetGain. Yeah, well I was never an owner of that company and they decided to divest and, and sell off to Iron Mountain, right,
2: which left me without a job. But we had been using NetGain is you know to build our websites and to help with our, our marketing. So they were NetGain meanwhile has already been in the industry for right. For for 10 years and doing their thing and they're in my same hometown yes so it was really a match made in heaven because i'm really attracted to the technology side of things so um to have that knowledge of the the information destruction industry and just kind of my love for anything technical yeah i just made that transition it was seamless
0: Janelle Gilbert, welcome to the Shred Coach Podcast. I'm glad you're here.
1: I am too. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's really good to have you here. So tell me about you, your company, your role. How long you have been in this uh, business? Give me the whole, the whole rundown on all things Janelle.
1: Oh my goodness. Well, I am the Client Services Director here at Web Vitality. I came here in 2012 after about 13 years in corporate training. I was at a firm there where I wore many hats, and one of them was helping them design their first website, pioneering their digital marketing program. And I really, really enjoyed that part. And I, I wanted more of it, but didn't know how to quite do that. I just, I happened to learn so much during that process and over those years. And as it turned out, when I came to Web Vitality in 2012, I mean, it was such a perfect fit. It was a beautiful fit. With all my business experience, the direction I wanted to move in—I've been here for ten years. I love it, every single minute of it. It's—it's it's, you know, really the concept behind the business, the principles that we operate by, are unique. I would have to say it gives me a lot of pride to that's to great. be here as part of the team. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's great. So, in terms of the the different functions that Web Vitality does, can you give me sort of a cross section of what are the mm-hmm. the different services that Web Vitality offers?
1: Yeah, we actually uh, do a really full range of digital marketing services, everything from hosting your website, designing it, redesigning it, all the way through pay-per-click, SEO, copywriting, local search, or what's sometimes called local SEO. We do social media posting. I mean, you name it. So this
0: podcast is uniquely about shredding and and about shredding companies and information destruction and and related to that. But I think one of the first questions I want to dig in on discuss the importance of lead generation and digital marketing. So leads for shredding companies tend to be the critical function of of it. So how do you think about lead generation? How do you think about it related to web marketing and the whole package of web marketing and lead generation. Just, just give me your sense about it or the way you look at that.
1: Yeah, I think it's part of a whole. Digital marketing is part of a larger marketing program that includes other forms of marketing. There's offline marketing, there's direct sales, there's all kinds of things. But interestingly enough, for most of our clients at Web Vitality, digital marketing is the main source of qualified leads that come to their business and sales as a result of those leads, including salespeople, including all the offline marketing, anything that they're doing. So I find that really interesting. And it means that the importance of having a an excellent digital marketing program in place that can't be overstated, because if we're looking at the majority of our clients nationwide, we serve clients really throughout North America. That's a lot of clients to look at and realize, if the majority of those are getting their leads from digital marketing, this is a really important area to focus on for all of these business owners.
0: Yeah. So lead generation, though, is in many cases, if that's the bread and butter, especially digital lead generation is the bread and butter of shredding companies. And there, there tends to be an indication that there is, at least in the companies I talk to, they tend to have one focus, which is I get all my leads from the web. But I'm I'm interested maybe in how you think about with your clients the management, the thinking about the ROI related to leads. How do how do you process that part of it? Because a lot of times in, in web marketing, you're paying money out to get a lead. And if you don't understand the economics of that and the the fees around that and all of that, give me your sense of how you think about leads from a process perspective, from a cost perspective, from a way of thinking about digital marketing connected to leads?
1: Yeah, interesting question. What's really important is focusing on your goals for those leads. And every business owner is going to have a different ROI ratio that they need. But what I found is with our client base, most of them need at least $3 back for every $1 they put into marketing. Mm. So and that's the minimum. Some need more. And it really just depends on, you know, what your revenue goals and requirements are. And that can be hard to achieve. You really have to have a tight digital marketing program or really any marketing program in order to achieve in numbers like that. And, you know, some of the things that I see a lot is, you know, for independents and, you know, sole owner operators, it's very hard to get a handle on those numbers day in, day out, call after call. And that is a challenge sometimes, but it is so important that I go out of my way to help people do that. And we have all kinds of reporting tools to assist business owners and managers in doing that for this reason, because it gives them an idea of where their marketing dollars are going, if it is generating actual revenue for them and how much. And then of course, all of that data helps you decide what to do in the future in terms of marketing strategy. What's working now, what's not working, Let's do more of what's working, right? Right. And less of what's not.
0: So, Daryl, we know you come out of a history of being in the industry. You go into the web marketing side of the industry. So you go from being a, a user of services to being a seller of the same services. I want our conversation to be more about, you know, what you know, what you've learned, some of the experiences you've had, how things are changing. So let, let's first start to explore a little bit about web marketing is all about really gaining, gaining leads, right? Ultimately, this is a lead gen business. So tell me a little bit about your perspective on lead gen.
2: Yeah, and that's uh, you, you've nailed it, Tom. That that is our whole sort of reason for being is to deliver leads to our clients. Yeah, and we it's it's you have to take a multi pronged approach in digital marketing, and you would know better than anyone uh, about that. So it's trying to anticipate the ways that people will search and how that they're how they go about searching for a a, a company. But, but these days it's they do one thing they they do a Google search. Yeah, whether you've you even known that shredding was an industry, but you've just got these boxes that you're staring at. So the shredding industry is interesting that there is, a, a different from so many other industries, when people are searching for a vendor, even if it's just a one-time purge, there is, when they're doing a search on Google, there is immediacy. Like yes. they, I, I just envision them staring at a stack of 100 boxes and how quickly can I get rid of this? If they're looking for a route provider, maybe they, they've they got a little bit more time to make a decision, but still, it's, it's going to be the first one that they can find. And when they do that search, you've got to think about, well, there's going to be a certain percentage that will click on an ad, whether they know it or not, a certain percentage that will go right to the map section of yeah. Google search results. And then probably 50% of that traffic going organically. So you've got it you've got to have a strategy to right. rank well in all three
0: of those areas. Yeah. I think the distinction and why it's so important to talk, Shredder to shredder is so often, and I'd like your insight on this. But so often, people go to a local chamber of commerce meeting and they hear somebody talking about the stages of, you know, the stages of a buyer journey, which is a generic journey. And it's generally a, they'll even talk B2B buyer, right? This generic journey they're on. But, but the shredding world's different, is what you just said. So, talk to me about how people should think in the shredding industry uniquely about web marketing that's different than what they might hear at somebody who's doing a generic talk about web marketing. Yeah.
2: So the the first sort of intriguing trend that we're seeing is that even though that a lot of the information management folks are selling on a B2B basis, that you've got to have a mobile friendly site because even though you're selling to other companies, chances are they're doing their search on a, a tablet or smartphone. So there's kind of mistake number one that we see is the sites just aren't optimized for mobile. Or maybe they look great, but they take forever to load, which can be the kiss of death. And, and Google knows you've got a slow-loading website. And people these days are not patient enough yep. to hang around waiting for a site, so they'll just hit the back button. Yeah. The, the other thing is, and I'd say, Tom, in the last two or three years since since the pandemic, people are buying everything online. So they're comparing your website with the best web experiences that they've ever you know seen. Regardless of the industry, they're comparing you with every other website they've ever been on. And if those expectations don't live up to you know what they were what they were expecting then they will hit the back button and go to the next company down the line yeah so that's to me kind of prong number 1 is getting that
0: great user experience on the site itself right and and that includes mobile Speed of load time, how fast your site loads, but also intuitively, and, and there's a there's a line somewhere, and it's about a user experience. It's people aren't comparing you to the next shredding company; they're comparing you to Amazon. Bingo! Oh right? yeah, it's exactly. Like that your site has to perform in a way that is actually aligned with the expectation and the experience they get in many other places.
2: Yeah, visitors are much more savvy now, and there's a higher bar. There's a higher bar on expectations. Yeah. So yeah, you, you your site has to be yeah. doing all those right things. Not only that, it's got to be designed in such a way that it encourages encourages the visitor to do that thing that you want them to do on the website, which for the most cases, pick up the phone and book a purge, right? Or submit a form inquiry to find out about, inquire about ongoing route services, right, or right. whether you do res- residential serv- uh, shredding or, or whatnot. <laughs>
0: So this industry is tightly aligned to other industries or connected. So there's a lot of people who do shredding who also do record storage, and there's people who do medical waste, and there's, there's a whole lot of different things that happen in proximity to shredding companies. But how should shredding companies thinking about online marketing compared to these tightly, closely connected industries? Because they're, they, I, it seems to me they're different. Just in, the, yeah. in what I hear in the world, they're different.
1: They are actually pretty different. You know, they are so closely connected on the business side. A lot of our shredders started as full rim service companies and split out that part and just became right. shredding companies. And some of them are just sole shredders and always have been. But interestingly enough, there are far more searches for shredding services taking place in a given day or a month than anything on the rest of the RIM services. So whether it's records, MedWaste, ITAD, any of the other services that we kind of associate with this industry, shredding is where most of the action is. Now, each shredding lead doesn't necessarily have as high of a value as maybe a you mm-hmm. know records lead. You know, you want boxes right. in your warehouse, right? But there are a lot more of them. And so what we find is even the shredding purges, the occasional recurring shred customer, That can be very, very profitable just because of the volume. And it's interesting because
0: when I think about back in the day when I used to own a a records company that included shredding, we used to think about the the average closing time from the time we first got the lead or the opportunity to the time we closed the deal as a two-year span. But in (laughs) shredding, it's – two hours. And in some cases, if you don't respond to that lead within 20 minutes, you've lost it to a competitor because it's that kind of environment. So it's really important. I think what you're saying is to understand the distinction between how fast and how much opportunity there is compared to the other ones. Oh,
1: yeah. The sales cycle is very short compared to records or anything else in that arena. Yeah. You're two hours. I mean, that's a really long time frame. If you don't answer that phone, if a human doesn't answer it, you're yeah. probably going to lose that lead. And we have lots of strategies for helping business owners make the most of the leads that we're sending them, obviously. But it's so fast. And, yeah. it, you know, sometimes just answering the phone gives you the shoe in. That's all you really need to do because a lot of your competitors are not going to do that.
0: So you said you've been in the the business for 10 years. So undoubtedly, you've looked at a lot of sites. You've worked with a lot of sites. What are some of the mistakes you see shredding operators, independent shredding operators making with their web marketing and their websites? What are some of the things you see as, as challenges?
1: Well, of course, I talked about ROI. I think not tracking it is the number one issue that I see, mm. because if you don't know your numbers, you really don't really know where to go from here. I mean, it helps us as marketers to understand the revenue that you're making, even just from a general perspective. You don't have to share your profit and loss report or anything with us, but it's just a matter of understanding, are you making the ratio of marketing, you know, of sales to marketing dollars that you need and in what areas? And that could be geographically, that could be in different service types that you offer. But if you don't track it, you'll never know it. And then you can't make good decisions in the future. So that's the number one thing.
0: Interesting. Before you go on, mm-hmm. I just I just want to dig in here a little bit. So tracking seems to be something that is a massive mistake. How are how are people doing it correctly? I mean, what yeah just give me a sense of how do you know when you've you're tracking it effectively? Because there's this old statement is half the money I spent on marketing is wasted. I problem is I don't know which half. How do you make sure? <laughs> that they know which is being spent effectively? How are they tracking it effectively?
1: Probably the most effective way is a really good CRM. And I see some, you know, throughout my client base that seem to work very well. But, you know, even lacking a CRM, a highly accurate manual tracking process, checking your reports. You know, we send tons of reports out. I have meetings with people all the time to discuss their numbers and strategies and all the things that are going on, really their results. And that works so well with clients that are able to track what is going on with the leads that they're receiving. And sometimes that's just a process of what happens to each individual lead for a while. You have to kind of track that. And then it's a matter of just kind of breaking out that information into what worked on, you know, from a particular marketing channel during a particular season. What should we do next season? What should we do with this channel? Mm different times a day, different times of the month, all kinds of information that you just don't get if you're not tracking.
0: Got it. Okay. So number one is tracking. The biggest mistake is people not tracking Mm -hmm. their their marketing essentially. Okay. Number two.
1: I think people think of their website as kind of a passion project. That's something Mm. that I see a lot. And there are some mistakes that are made. So that would be one. That's probably the one I see the most. It's important to understand what your website is there to do. And in the shortening industry, really, you need a website that's going to generate leads for you. So, of course, we want it to be beautiful. We want it to represent your brand. We want it to use your colors. But it has to be functional. There has to be a user experience there that pushes people to contacting you. And not in a, you know, super pushy salesy way, but what it does is from the very moment that they do a search, they click on a link, they get to your website, everything on that site makes it easy and he encourages them to contact you. Really, that's where you're going to make your sale if they call you. So what's the passion
0: project side of that? Because if it's a passion <laughs> project, say for an owner, what are they trying to make it do that, that makes it non-functional?
1: I think it's easy to fall into the trap of, you know, I saw a beautiful website. I want my website to look like that. A lot of that can be accommodated. But, you know, what we love about websites isn't necessarily what's functional for your client base. Right. Mm. And a lot of the website, you know, the I love it type of website links that I get shared to me are for a totally different industry A totally like a product based, you know, maybe it's a beauty product or a shoe or a car. It's not this industry. And it's funny how that works. Now, you don't have to have an ugly website. They can be absolutely beautiful, but they have to be functional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's such an important
0: thing because a lot of times the ubiquitous sites that we go and visit and are part of are are sites that spend two million a month just on ads. Like they're throwing so much cash at just to get traffic to the site. They, they've got a massive web, not just a team. They have full agencies that do one element of one thing on that site. And so I think it's it's a really important distinction to say, just because you love a site doesn't mean it's effective for your client. It might be effective for you, but you're not your client a lot of times. Just You have to remember that. That's a really good point. Love it. Love it. So what, what else are you seeing different? Because I know that NetGain focuses on this industry and has deep roots in this industry, given the owners and, and the background and experience, but you also work in other industries. There's big companies that you work with, but you're, there's a uniqueness to this industry that is different than what you see in other places. Yeah. What, what other differences do you see?
2: Yeah. So, well, there's a lot to talk to uh, talk about there. And, and listen, I get the fact that most companies would prefer to deal with their local web company. And there's, there's, you know, a zillion of them in every single, yep. a, a lot of them are small, like two and three person operators and they may make a beautiful looking site. That's just, you know, just yep. not non-functional. It looks sleek, but it's not doing those things that they, they want it to do. So there's, you know, there's definitely value in finding a, a supplier that, that gets the industry. But compared to other industries, and one of the things that fascinates me about the folks at the, just in the I-Sigma group is that they often, they don't, they don't just have shredding companies, they have shredding storage or right. shredding in medical ways right. or shredding in, in moving yep. or shredding in like logistics company or IT uh, asset disposal. But even compared to all those different types of companies that are often related, the shredding has just got that immediacy and in intent built into those searches that, if you're looking for an ITAD partner or a medical waste partner, you're missing that urgency. Yes. Where shredding is like, how quickly can we get this done? How quickly can I get those hundred boxes out of self-storage
0: or, you know, they're clogging up our basement or it's just a bit of a different animal. What does one do or think about in terms of dealing with immediacy versus that traditional buyer journey? There's because immediacy has a different mechanism to it, right? Or there, there needs to be a different Probably a frame of reference when you hit a shred site versus hitting, say, an ITAD site. An ITAD site, you're building, you're building a persona. You're understand, you're start trying to understand if this is a good partner long term. Yes. In shredding, you're not. It's an immediate experience. I need this done. So, what's the process or action that people need to be aware of that needs to be taken on their? web, whether they use your company or not. Yep. It's what. What do they need to think about that maybe their local mm. vendor, who's just a designer, doesn't think about.
2: Yeah. The, there's a a certain level when when customers are doing that search that they expect that you're, you're AAA certified or that there's that, you know, even if you're, whether you're AAA certified or not, it says that you're, the the records are going to be handled confidentially. So, but everybody does that. So what can you do that's going to be, that's going to be different? I think it's still important to talk about that sort of thing, but once they hit that website, they may only be on for, they're making a decision about you, Tom, and three seconds, five seconds, yeah. you know, if, if you're lucky. So you've got to do three things. You've got to, to explain very clearly, you know, what it is, what your value statement is, right? Or your unique selling proposition yep. we call it, but really it's just telling them who you are and what you do. Secondly, you've got to explain what, like, what problem are you solving? Right. So you've got to anticipate that what, what's their pain point. Yep. And you've got to address that immediately on the homepage. And then secondly, or thirdly rather is, roll out the red carpet and make it crazy easy for them to engage you. Right. So those three things, you got about 5 seconds.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that engagement piece I think is a really important one because that lack of a ability to immediately engage and then you go back and you talk about the mobile site. Are you loading mobile, but if you haven't actually thought about that and you're thinking, okay, this is immediate engagement the user experience of being on a site is driven by that understanding of immediacy. And which means, well, does, does the button on your mobile site actually, if you touch it, does it create a phone call? Like if it doesn't create a phone call, you've missed the whole boat. Like you've
2: missed the whole point. Don't just list your phone number. Right. And what what do you want people that like Type that in now. No, it's got to be, be a click to call as right. as, a, as a bare minimum. And we see these mistakes being made yeah. over and over yeah. again. And we've been preaching this because we have we do free educational seminars at the I Sigma conference and shred school. And we've been doing so for years. And we keep telling people the same thing. And then clients come to us and like, oh, Daryl, nobody can find us online. Well, right. let's take a look at the website. It's like, oh my gosh, you're, you're breaking all the rules. You're right. doing everything wrong. Right.
0: Every it, every rule you could break, you haven't yeah. broken. Yes.
2: One one of the things that I find interesting just about that engagement is in different industries, like the car dealership industry, we see a lot of those chat buttons yep. at the bottom because people have questions and they don't want to talk to a rep. We don't necessarily see that in the shredding industry so much. It's it's let's have rather we see let's have very strong calls to action, like a like a, a button that you can click yep. to submit a form or you know, click the call and and, yep. and lots of them. So wherever they are on your website, they should only just be one click away from making contact once they've decided that, yes, this is the
0: company that we want to uh, engage with. Right. All right, so let's go off in a a slightly different direction. So SEO, pay-per-click, you you mentioned this earlier, there's three places people look. The dilemma sometimes is, especially for a smaller operator, where to invest my money, right? Where do I invest my energy or money between, let's call it pay-per-click, let's call it maps and let's call it organic traditional search. Okay. Sort of in that Google search range. But if somebody comes to you and says, I've only got X amount of dollars to spend, not just on the services that are provided, but the investment I make on that, what's the order logic around pay-per-click maps versus organic? Or give me your your sense on it, because I I think the generic term everybody uses is SEO. I got to do SEO. Well, What's that mean? But but I think a lot of times they're meaning one of those three things. Right. So so give me a breakdown on, on on how, especially a newer operator, somebody that doesn't, maybe they don't have unlimited pockets. They haven't yet figured out ROI that if you put X in, you're going to get this yeah. out. They're just in the early stages. Give me a sense of how to invest appropriately. Sure. And you're not going to like my answer,
2: Tom, because you got to do everything and you got to do it all really well. But I, I, I will address it because I, I get that people don't have an unlimited budget for marketing, but let's work under the assumption that your, your website is presentable and it's kind of a a chicken and an egg. It's like, well, do we spend all this time building a lovely website that, that nobody can find, right? Or do we spend all this money on SEO and, and, and pay-per-click and send them to an underwhelming website. So let's just assume. Let, that the let's website, assume we've got
0: a site built.
2: The site and it's presentable yes. and it's doing all those it's things. It's doing right.
0: mobile, right. And it's doing all the things you talked about. Let's yes. assume that's, I mean, to me, you, you can't think of this as a one and done. You can't, if you build it, they will come. They don't come if you just build it. You got to do something yes. after.
2: And the website is never chiseled in stone. It should grow right. and evolve, right? Yes. It, it's a digital platform. So for that new operator that you're you're talking about, I think if if there's a certain urgency on their part that you know, they're, they, they need business and they need it now. Well, you're going to have to buy your way onto the right. first page of Google search results. And the best way to do that is with a Google search ad. It's, it's called Google ads commonly referred to as PPC or, or pay-per-click that will give you the quickest bang for your buck. The problem though, is if you ever turn off the tap, then those leads dry up immediately. Right. So you want to be earning leads based on the merit and the strength of your own website. So I, I really recommend that kind of two-pronged approach, at least of of having Google ads running because we know it works in the, it may not work so well in the the medical waste industry or not as effectively or in the imaging or record storage, but we know firsthand that it works in shredding so that I would definitely start running at some sort of pay-per-click campaign. You don't necessarily have to have deep pockets, but if you're going to run a campaign, don't just set it and forget it check back every couple of weeks or at least once a month and what's working and what's not and, and, and tweak it because Google will quite happily take your money. Right. Yes. It's, it's up to you as the, as the user to
0: make sure that you're getting good value for that money. Yes. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. So, so then when you think about it, because a lot of people ask, well, SEO, right? So you said, let's invest here. Let's invest in some pay-per-click to drive some immediate leads, but on the other side, to have long-term value, how do you, what, what is the action over there? Yeah. What's the SEO the, the, because SEO is this big nebulous mass word that means nothing and means everything. And are you doing SEO? Well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what SEO is. The, the number one piece of advice I have that you can do on SEO
2: and it's non-technical, but just to shore up your organic or natural rankings is a high value written content. So there's so many, sh- back to the mistakes I saw the shredding companies make. And, and one of the biggest ones is that they don't have a, a service page for every service that they offer. Right. So you go to their shredding page and there's a there, there's 10 bullets and they're calling that a page. No, 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 no. Google wants to see a minimum of 500 to 1,000 words. So you will be rewarded reward, and not, not of drivel, but of high quality written yeah. content. Google will reward high value content. So you need to break each of your service. If you offer residential service, for example, you should absolutely have a res- residential shredding page. If you have hard drive destruction, that deserves its own page. Even looking at shredding, if, if you've got like route service and one-time purge shredding, each one of those needs its own. So we call that cornerstone content. Yeah. You, you might just call it your service pages. So break up each one of your services into special categories, and each one has a, a page with 500 to 1,000 words. That That is the number one thing that you can and you can do it for free if you're that operator that doesn't have a lot of money as long as you can string a sentence together maybe a little bit more complicated than that but if you're if you're a competent writer right or has someone on your team that's competent or outsource it to someone who can do
0: that for you yeah Can you explain the benefits of investing in one or more of the major approaches? You mentioned all the different things that that you provide, but a lot of times when you have limited budget, you go, I'm just gonna choose this thing. I'm only gonna do this thing. Instead of understanding the value of a comprehensive web marketing approach. So pay-per-click, organic search, making sure you're in that Google map, all those kind of things. What's the what's the benefit of of investing in them as a whole versus as an individual element.
1: Yeah, they are. They really do work hand in hand, really as part of a holistic digital marketing strategy. These are words that people bandy about quite a bit. But there is a reason. They work together really well. So they each do their own thing, but they contribute to the others. Pay-per-click, done really well, can get you in front of your audience immediately. You get control over every aspect of your messaging, your budget, your keywords, geographic location, you name it, you get it all. And you're paying for that privilege, right? It's the fastest way to get in front of people. The next fastest way, and you know, it has less control, but more than some other channels is local SEO, Google Maps, for instance, Apple Maps, all those guys. Literally, you're putting your business on the map. If you do it right, you can be like front and center in so many different ways that people are looking for local businesses. You've got digital assistants like Siri, Google Assistant, Amazon Alexa, all the mapping services, all the GPS services. That's really important because if you look on a search results page, say on Google, very first thing you're gonna see when you're looking for local services is an ad. Google Ads, that's pay-per-click. Next is gonna be that local pack. You wanna be in that local pack. And sometimes in less competitive markets, you can be the only option on the map mm. if you do it right. That's a part and parcel of it. And then the next thing is organic SEO. That's a much longer game. It's a very misunderstood part of web marketing. Really, yeah. Uh, SEO gets tossed around as a term, and it's highly misunderstood. But in this industry, really done well, it's content, content, content. <laughs> I mean, really, what you're trying to do is target your audience with the right keywords, the ones they're using, and target them in all the geographic areas that you serve. And you can do that. It just takes time. And you get a lot less guarantee of what's going to ultimately result from that. It has really high value when done well, but there are no guarantees. And anyone who tells you that there are is definitely selling something (laughs) So
0: is there is there some benefit to having all three working together? Like because it's really helpful to understand how they how they lay out. But what's the benefit if you're doing you're in that local pack or on that map and then you're in in an organic result? What's the benefit of that?
1: Basically, you're owning the page. So if we think about it as a hierarchy with ads at the top and the local pack next, just scrolling down the page and organic results are below that. If you are front and center in all three of those areas, you own the page. It's Mm. Acme shredding no matter where you look, you know? Right. And who doesn't want that? That can work really, really well together. And on a technical side of it, they really do contribute to each other. A lot of people will see your ad, they will not want to click on it or they're not ready to at that moment. But if they can find you organically or in the local pack, they'll already know your name from you Mm. showing ads as a result of a search, or you can do ads that are just cold advertising display ads that we see a lot but if you don't advertise and you don't get as many organic hits and if you're not in the local pack your competitors will be and it looks like you don't exist so you have to kind of work it all together it's it's a very happy trio got it
0: okay (laughs) so one of the things that gets i hear a lot in my coaching conversations is should we use social media How does social media help us? And I think there's this sense that social media posting, because of what you talked about earlier, you know, a lot of consumer brands do it. The products we like to buy as owners of businesses often show up when we're scrolling Facebook or places like that. What do you see in terms of social media use by shredding companies?
1: Well, social media, it plays a role for sure. It is not the kind of role that it, it would be in any kind of consumer product, a consumer service. I think really the big difference for us is most shredders want to be B2B. They're yeah. already advertising to businesses as a main source of revenue. That's the recurring shredding clients. Right. No residential client is going to do that for you. So it's B2B to begin with. And social media is very B2C oriented, Right. And but you have to kind of be there. You don't want to ignore that part because there will be individuals that are on social media that are decision makers in companies that you want to market to. Or if you're embracing the residential market, your audience is there. They're going to be on Facebook. They're going to be on all of the platforms. So you can't ignore it. It's just a matter of thinking of it as more like a supporting character Mm. rather than a main character. Yeah, that's you, good. You, you, I, you know, I, I, everybody has limited resources. You don't want to spend them all on social media when you really should be spending a lot more on the other channels. Yeah.
0: Right. So so it sounds like it's a bit player in mm-hmm. the cast of your marketing figures who then comes in and out as required. There's a presence, but not we're not putting all our money on that on that
1: one. Precisely.
0: How important is the evaluation of national and local competitors? Because a lot a lot of times. You know, we when an operator is thinking about web marketing, they think if I build it, they will come. Just because I have a website there, people will show up. But but as I understand search engines, I don't know why I put that lilt to it. Search engines, <laughs> but as I understand them, it's it, it's not just the fact that your website exists that you get in search results. It's that keyword that you search for, and what Google and Bing bring back are You and anyone else who happens to have the same keyword set and there's some ranking that happens, that's why we call it the search engine rankings, how you get placed is some indicator of national and local competitors that show up. And I guess my question to you is a long-winded way of getting to how should we as operators think about our competitors when we think about web marketing?
1: I think it's critical to understand your competitors' strengths and weaknesses. Do some private eye work. I mean, look at what their ads look like. Check out their websites. See how they rank for different keywords that you think are important. You know, just check out what they're doing and see if that has value for you. Now, if you have a really great digital marketing team, they're going to be doing this for you. And, you know, all the tools will be there and the expertise to really parse the data that they're seeing. But, you know, knowing what your competitors are doing is really critical. And the difference between you and them is also critical to understand. What is your value proposition? And so many clients that I talk to think it's about price and price is a part of that. But it is not the entire value proposition. You're going to have unique things about your company in your unique marketplace that right. sets you apart from either a national competitor or a local competitor. Make sure you understand what that is and place value on it in the content that is on your website, in the words that you speak on the phone, in the advertising that you put out there. Everything has to make that very clear. And you can solve a problem for someone because shredding is an issue when people know they need it. It's kind of a commodity. It's maybe not a very exciting thing, but they know they need it. You can solve a problem for them. Make it clear that you're the one that's going to make all their problems go away. That's really the messaging that you need. And your competitors are probably trying to do the same thing. So do it better.
0: Is there any other good organic SEO content-related approach that you should be taking.
2: There's, there's two other things. Most people, when they think of content, is to rush out and start writing blogs, but do not go down that path of writing blogs until you've shored up your cornerstone content. The the, the second thing after that in, in levels of importance would be having what we call a city page or a location page. So most of the shredding companies, especially where they're doing, well, you know what, whether it's mobile or not, they're still driving to pick up the the material to be shredded. And they probably have a, unless you're working in a dense metropolitan area, you, you probably have 50 miles, 75 mile yep. like, radius. Each of those towns that you service needs its own page. Because if someone two towns over is looking for shredding service, chances are you're not showing up. And there's something, by the way, that I recommend that all your listeners do is run a Google incognito search and look for, as though you're a customer. And look for shredding services in that next town over that you service and and look to see, are you showing up? And if not, then I strongly suggest writing what we call a city page. So it's all the great things that you do in ABC town. And it's, it's almost like a homepage talking about your residential service, your route service, your purge service, and then get that up on your website as a landing page. And the, the idea is that people searching from that town, they never hit your homepage. They hit that city page. But at the end of the day, I'd argue it doesn't matter what page that they land on as long as they can discover you and then reach out to book that purge or route service.
0: Right. So you said there's three types. There's cornerstone. And then the second one you just mentioned was city. What's the third? call
2: them a city page. Then you can get into blogs because you're going to hit a, you're going to hit a wall there, Tom, where you can only rewrite your about us page so many times. Right. But this industry is blessed with uh, an almost unlimited amount of topics, whether it's, you know, having a a blog on a clean desk policy or
0: the importance of, of document security or, or, Whatever happens to be. So let me just dig on that one because I think sometimes there's a, what's the blog's job? Like I often think about a tools has a job to do and a cornerstone page, you said its job is to really outline a specific service. A city page is job is to actually really uh, make sure that Your services are related to a specific location, city, town, Mm -hmm. village, whatever. But a blog what's a blog's job? What's what's
2: it doing? So that's an insightful question. And I look at that. I I like blogs for a few different reasons. Number one, it shows your customers that you live and breathe this industry. So Mm -hmm. if you're comparing two different vendors, are you going to choose the company with the one page website or the other company that like lives and breathes document security? So it, it shows people that you are invested in the industry. I like it for, for that reason. It also shows Google that the lights are on in somebody's home because Google comes along and scrape your website or, or index your website periodically. And if it comes back week after week, month after month, year after year, and there's no new pages and no new content, then Google just kind of shrugs her shoulders and they're going to reward the next company down the line that is actively adding fresh new content to the site. Right. So it's it's important for that reason only. And the third reason I like it is it gives you an opportunity and we haven't talked about social media yet, but it gives you an opportunity to tweet about something. Hey, everyone, we just wrote an article on document security. You check this out and it drives traffic to the site. So suddenly if Google starts seeing traffic coming in from Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter to one of your blog pages, it it says to Google, hey, there's something interesting going on here on this website and they deserve to be ranking a little bit better. So I'm I'm a big fan of it, but don't rush down and start doing blogs until you've got all the other content
0: short up. Does that make Good. sense? Yep, makes sense. Great. So you open the can of worms there and I'm gonna just jump into the can of worms. So social media, given that this is an immediate context, right? how relevant how important how much should you invest in social media
2: super good question i would say it's it's my least favorite of all of them i would argue probably the least important but there's you know there's 200 things that google is looking at in determining how how you should rank and and, you're, and you, you you never know how a customer is going to find you if it's going to be from a a, link, a linkedin group or a, a facebook group so i kind of call it a necessary evil you know for that owner that's debating you know where should we put my time and energy and and money pay-per-click and 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 written content would be number one and two you know technical improvements to the site and this sort of way down on that list would be social media but it's still an important part of the marketing mix and that's why they call it a marketing mix so ignore it at your own peril but don't
0: expect that suddenly it's going to move the needle dramatically just because you're doing a bunch of facebook posts right because what what i'm hearing you say is you know have presence but don't necessarily spend two hours a day there it's not going to get you a result But have Uh, presence. But, and
2: I totally get that business owners are busy, right? And, or they don't have a millennial on staff that can do this posting for them. Right. But it's, it's an important, it is an important part of the mix. You don't need to be doing on posts on every single platform just because it exists. Do you need to be doing TikTok videos? No, probably not. Right. But should you be doing Twitter and Facebook posts? Sure. You don't need to do one every single day, but once or twice a week, you know, is is better than zero times a week.
0: All right. I'm going to go off in another completely wildly different direction as we get to the end of the show, this conversation. But ChatGPT in the last two months has become this ubiquitous force, which has spawned almost the release of all types of AI tools. And if you kind of listen enough to the news and you listen, if, if you actually turn your attention that way. What people are saying is this will fundamentally change web marketing. It'll fundamentally change the way things are done. People are hanging up Google and completely going away from Google, and they're just talking to ChatGPT every day. So give me your insight as to how you're thinking about it, sitting in the seat of a, you know, you're you're a sales manager in a web marketing company, web services marketing company. What do you think, what are you guys thinking about GPT? What are you seeing as its use case related to web marketing? Oh, I'm so
2: glad you asked that. It's such an insightful question and it does seem to be a hot topic these days. So I would say, put yourself in the position as a, of a parent as I am. And let's say your, your son or daughter has got a term paper due on Friday. I don't think that you're going to advise them to rush out to GPT, chat GPT, and just like generate their, their term paper. You could, but you're not just going to like have it regurgitate a term paper and then just submit it blindly, right? It's not the end result, but I would absolutely use it as a starting point. And then maybe use it for inspiration and then customize whatever those results are and, and use that as a starting point and then massage it for con- you're you're saying for content for, oh, yeah for for yeah for content and, and so i don't know where this is going tom in five years better than i think anybody, anybody does, like, no. who, who knows but i all, all i can say is the current state of affairs we see it being used primarily for um, writing content and writing blogs do we use it yes absolutely as an agency we use it. It takes the drudgery and misery. I don't know if you've ever sat down to write a blog, but it's, it's probably one of the least favorite things that you could possibly do. <laughs> so for sure, why, don't, why not just type in your topic and, and have it spit out a, a few paragraphs, but use that as a starting point and right. massage it. Much like submitting that term paper, which you're not going to do, Just you're also not going to take that chat GDPT generated response and then publish it. You've got to make sure that are you're hitting the, the, the right number of keywords, like a certain keyword density on whatever your topic is. And with blogs, there's certain do's and don'ts. And you can't just publish it and then then be done with it. You want to have links to other pages on your website, links to other
0: websites, and ChatGPT is not going to do that right. for you. Right. So from your perspective, it's, it's primarily a content support tool, even being used internally for you. But if somebody's thinking about, well, you know, what's this AI doing for me, specifically ChatGPT, there's the possibility and potential of it being a tool to help Build whether it's ChatGPT or some of the other AI tools, it's it's a tool to help give you a starting place. So instead of full blank page, it's like okay, it gives me the structure. But I think the dilemma that many people are finding is it's just regurgitating stuff that's been ingested into it, and then responding to your particular query. Have you heard
2: the term that they use? Have you the, heard the term hallucinations? Yeah. That's what they're calling, If because ChatGPT will give you a very authoritative sounding response that may or may not be correct, but right. it'll it'll give it. So he, here's something to try. If you've ever done an, an inquiry into ChatGPT on a subject that you would like to learn more about, it it is absolutely mad, the response that you get. But if you start doing searches on something that you're a subject matter expert at, so Free Tom, if because yeah. you, you've got a thriving coaching business, if you start asking coaching questions, it's a little bit less impressive oh, when yeah. you already know the answer. So some of your listeners, if you start doing Chat GPT inquiries about the shredding industry, you'll you'll quickly see the flaws. Oh yeah, in deep, in, in that product, floods. yeah. So what at first seems like black magic suddenly it's it's somewhat less impressive. Yeah, you know, for the, specifically for shred marketing or or marketing for the shredding industry, it, it may have limited usage. For example, you know, customers aren't using it to search for you, so it's right. got. Don't forget, it's got the word chat built right into it. It's like a chat bot, yes, r- really. So if if you're looking for a local supplier, you're not. No one's going to chat TPT. Yep. But if you, I use it as you know, for creative services, right? Yes. So on the back end, so it's it's it, you no know, that may change in five years. Right. I, I don't know, but for it the, could
0: change next week for all we know. That, that's right. right. Later it's this at, later this afternoon, going. I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's going that fast, and so much is coming out. But I I think it's really helpful that that you said that, which is. Don't get seduced into the fact that this is the thing that will fix you. But it's it's a it's actually a really yeah. valuable thing. and I my recommendation to everyone who talks to me about it is try it. Like what's the sure. worst that can happen? Like go test the thing. Like go see that it's not this thing that's gonna crazily change your life. Right. Right now, there is a massive amount of press and awareness of this thing called ChatGPT yeah. and Google has one called BARD and all oh, it's, it's inundating. If you watch social media at all, if you're on LinkedIn, if you're on Twitter, any of those kind of places, we're just getting inundated with this. How do things like ChatGPT and other evolving AI technologies fit into the web marketing landscape at this point in time from your perspective? How should we be thinking about them?
1: Yeah. And they're so new. Oh my goodness. You know, but overnight they've become this really, really important part of life. They can be a really great addition to a marketing toolkit, but with great power comes great responsibility. We have to think about what it is good for in your Mm. world and what it's not. It's great for things you don't have time to do or would rather not do as long as you're able to give the right instructions to whatever that tool is and get a product that is close to what you need, maybe it can do something faster than you can do, but it is not a substitute for human oversight. It's going to augment your marketing efforts. It's not a plug and play replacement for anything. Right. It doesn't create perfect content for you. It's going to create probably a basis of the content that you want in the best of scenarios. It's not going to do a great website if you're asking it to design a website. It'll be maybe some bare bones that have to be fixed quite a bit by a team who knows what they're doing. It's certainly not going to do pay-per-click for you. It's not going to do local for you. It's just a thing that can fill in some of those tasks that we don't need to be doing as humans. We can offload those.
0: Right. So let's assume a shredder's thinking about chat GPT as an example. Okay, and I'm thinking more from a marketing a web marketing perspective. Is there any place for it? And you've said it generically, but I guess I'm asking more specifically, is there a place for it to to play in the web marketing toolkit? Could it be used? And I think you've already given the the caveats which are it's not always coming back. It's very clear. I mean, I've been on ChatGPT and it says don't buy everything we say. Like <laughs> This could be complete hogwash, but we're giving it to you anyways.
1: Yeah, it does. It does have a use specifically in the shredding industry. I think if you're trying to come up with ideas, if you're trying to figure out, you know, what is a good, say, marketing or sales pitch, it can sort of get you started. Things like that. You know, just it's almost like a kernel of inspiration that you can get Ah, from these tools.
0: Yeah, I like that. A kernel of inspiration. All right. Well, any last words as it relates to web marketing? So I and I I'm gonna maybe position this in the context of someone who's never had a website before. They they're they're brand new to this industry, right? They've heard about the shredding industry and they they happen to hear about net gain and they call you and this is not about selling anything, it's about giving them context or but they've come to a conference and they've put a deposit down on a shred truck that may or may not show up in the next 12 months. We don't know. They come and talk to you and you say to them, okay, these are the three things you got to focus on in the next 12 months.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting for what could be considered a mature industry, that there are still people that are are getting into it. And I think that's wonderful. It just shows that it's a healthy, vibrant industry. And we talk all the time to people that are, are getting into it or buying their first- shred truck or plant-based shredding, I always tell them to align their expectations on the marketing. Just because you create a website, you would use that word or the phrase build it and they will come. It, you cannot just build a, a website and expect. In fact, you're probably a year away from ranking anywhere near the first page of Google on search results simply because Google doesn't trust you yet and you haven't built that credibility. So don't think that you can just turn the lights on and put up a sign and all of a sudden a business is going to be the path to your door, at least in the web world. Yep. It just doesn't work that way. So yep. tem- temper your expectations, which is probably not what you wanted to hear, but you may have to do that approach of if you're a new company, you may just have to pay to play and just buy your way under the first pages of search results with with ads, but lean into it. I'm more concerned about those those players that have already been in it for 20 years and they haven't done a thing on their website for the last 15. You know, you could be easily replaced by some savvy upstart company right. that, you know, can can quickly gain a hold So, so the website is not chiseled in stone. Don't treat it, you know, treat it like a living, breathing entity. And wh- I keep on talking about putting yourself in in your customer shoes, which is, you know, you, you think about the, the entire journey of being a customer, whether it relates to the, the web or not. I think that's an important thing to do, to be introspective that way, but go online in your area and, and do searches as though you're a customer and, mm. and get a, get a kind of a benchmark on how are you performing online? And there may be some surprises there, or it could be that five years ago you were page one position one, and all of a sudden you've you're halfway down the page. Well, well, why is that? And and who are the companies in your area that that are doing a great job online? And and can we learn from them? So I don't think owners do that enough, putting themselves in the customer shoes and doing those searches and and seeing how you're showing up and looking at the entire process and looking at your website because often you're you're too close to it. Yeah. But if you look at it in the eyes of of needing the service, how do you compare against what your competitors are doing? It's important exercise.
0: Yeah. Great final words, Daryl. Thank you so much for all your perspective, your insights. We'll make sure in the notes people know how to reach you and connect with you. But thank you for being a part of this and I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks for the invitation. I enjoyed the conversation.
0: What advice would you give someone new to the shredding industry or somebody who's been in the business a long time and is looking to stay competitive in the digital space? Because it sometimes... For somebody new coming in, there's this sense that, well, if we just build a website, they'll come. But then sometimes longstanding business have their website around a long time and they've not done anything to their website. They just had it sitting there and it's just sat there for 10 years, let's say. What advice would you give both of those people? Either it's the same advice or it's different advice, but how would you deliver advice to a new shredding operator? versus a longstanding operator related to improving their, their digital marketing performance?
1: Great question. I think the key is just engaging a really great team to help you with that. They have to understand marketing, obviously, but they have to also understand shredding and destruction inside and out. It is not like other industries. It is not like other services. It's unique. It's unique and it has its own unique prospect base. Any marketing strategy should take that into account, full stop. Now, if you have a great marketing company that doesn't understand shredding, mistakes will be made. (laughs) I've seen it. It's not that they don't mean well. It just doesn't work. There's so many nuances in this industry, as I have learned over the past 10 years. Generic marketing advice and tactics. It's a quick way to spend a lot of money in shredding and not you just get a ton of frustration in return. I think because of most of the marketing advice that you hear out there is consumer product based. Yeah. Or even consumer service-based. Even if it's B2B services, it's still not the shredding industry. And so it really has to be put through that filter by a group of experts. You're yeah. an expert as an owner or a manager of a shredding company, but maybe you're not an expert in marketing. You really need a team who can do both of those things for you. What
0: advice would you you know, from the 10 years of experience and we're now past where you've given the pitch, right? In terms of of how to think about this. But, you know, if you're talking to someone privately and quietly and you go, don't miss this, like, just don't miss this thing. If you're thinking about your web marketing and you've been around a long time and you're not trying to sell anything, you're just saying, just don't miss this piece. What would you tell them?
1: You know, after you move past all the analytics feelings, the ideas, you know, things are being thrown at you all day long. It boils down to revenue. Revenue. Mm. And this is something that any entrepreneur or business owner understands. If you are making revenue on what you're doing with your marketing, you are doing it right. That's all you need to know.
0: So good. Because that ties back to many of the things you've already said, the different types of marketing you do, the ability to really tie ROI to that spend on marketing. And the only way you know that is if you have revenue coming from it. Exactly. That's the only connection point. So, well, this is delightful. Janelle, thank you for uh, sharing your, your wisdom, your insights, your perspective. I hope that as people hear what you've said, that they will process their own web stuff and uh, web marketing and make sense of it, and we'll make sure people have ways to access and connect to you from the show. So thank you again for being a part of the Shred Coach podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Thanks again for listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. Make sure to visit tomadams.com for executive coaching, advisory board services, podcasting, training, and more. And subscribe to our email list so you can have first access to brand new strategies, tips, and ideas from trusted shredding and business professionals.